Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today we're going to be looking at both breastfeeding and the beyond because we're going to be talking about craniosacral therapy. Lucky for you and very lucky for me, I'm going to be talking with an expert craniosacral therapist, Carol Gray. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marie. I'm excited to be here today. I know that you have so much experience and so much to share with us. And I know that there are some people out there who've probably never heard of craniosacral therapy. And so I'd just like to start out by uh, asking you, can you help us with just a basic definition here? What is craniosacral therapy? I'd be happy to. So craniosacral therapy has <clears throat> evolved as a specialized branch of osteopathy. Osteopathy is a kind of manual therapy that was developed in the United States back in the late 1800s, 1874 to be exact, okay. <laughs> by a man okay. named Andrew Taylor Still. And it's a, a form of drug-free, non-invasive manual medicine Um at first, osteopaths weren't especially concerned with the structures in the cranium uh, because they were taught that cranial bones fuse at some point in our lives and that our heads don't have movable joints, like coconuts, for example. And, <laughs> and so why develop techniques for a part of the body that doesn't move? So they didn't. And that actually is just the British model of anatomy. It's not the way anatomy is taught in the rest of the world. It's only mm-hmm. taught that way in English-speaking countries. And, and, and it's changing. Um, the, the world is kind of coming around to our point of view that actually these are movable joints. So anyway, there were some early osteopaths, um, notably William Sutherland and Char- Charlotte Weaver, who disagreed with that head as coconut model. Um, and they noticed that these were movable joints and that they could, and that they moved somewhat on their own. And th- that we call that rhythm, a craniosacral rhythm or a cranial rhythmic impulse. And um, there are theories about the, the source of that rhythm. Most popular one has to do with rhythmic production and resorption of cerebral spinal fluid. So, mm, mm. It, so we've we've got this. So the, a lot of people with of dif- different disciplines practice craniosacral therapy. I happen to practice under a massage therapy license. It's within the scope of practice of lots of different kinds of people who are legally entitled to do hands-on therapies. Um, it's okay. it's super gentle, and and um, and there there's some foundational principles on which it's it's based. Um, the first one is that the body seeks balance. And, oh, mm-hmm. and, and I, I love that. You know, we are all we all know about like homeostasis and that kind of biochemical balance, but we also have a um, a drive for biomechanical balance. And so um, you know we we trust our clients, um, whether they be infants or adults or something in but be- some people in between, um, we, we trust them to be seeking that that structural balance balance. Uh, we also know that structure and function in the body are intimately interrelated. Oh, yes. Oh, so, yes. So, for example, if a baby has compression 
of the occiput, that's um, a bone in the back of a baby's head, at mm-hmm. the jugular foramen, which is kind of a wide spot in the road between two bones <laughs> in the back of a baby's head, we know that that cranial nerves 9, 10, 11, and possibly 12 are going to be compromised, okay? So compromise of those nerves adversely affects feeding because they have everything to do with the suck, swallow, breathe coordination. That's where the innervation for all that stuff comes through. So it's kind of a fancy way of saying that if a nerve gets squished, it won't work very well. Likewise, if a baby can't elevate her tongue and use it to breastfeed normally, rest it on the hard palate, the hard palate's going to develop a high arch over time. and. Yes. Her, so her body parts actually change shape because of the way she uses them. So, so that's an example of function affecting structure. So we know that it goes both ways. Um, we also know that all of our body parts should move independently of their neighbors. A lot of times people think that means muscles and bones, but it's, you know, organs and ligaments and nerve fiber tracts and mm, blood mm. vessels and all the way down to subatomic particles. Everything's supposed to move. If it doesn't, that it has it has an effect on on pain or loss of function, um, especially with breastfeeding. It's a loss of function function thing that that is most noticeable to the adults in the in the room. So the other thing, all healing is self healing. You know, it just mm-hmm. is. Yep, <laughs> it is. It it's is. happening on the inside, um, and the source of pain or loss of function isn't always obvious. Um, I've I've found that that. Um, what I think I know about a baby it, um, doesn't always play out. What I find with my hands sometimes is not what I would think based on the list of uh, treatment goals that parents would have, for example. And so it keeps my work interesting. Um, yes, yes. I, I would wonder, yeah. Carol, I noticed you've got several YouTubes, and I would encourage all of our listeners to go and look at the, the videos that you have, and I'll try to put those up with show notes later, uh, probably on my blog. But one of the things that jumped right out at me right away it was that it looks like you're not doing anything to the baby at all. No, isn't that awesome? It's like watching it the, it's like watching the grass grow. You know, and well, there are many reasons for that, but one of them is that because we believe that that all healing is self-healing, and because we believe that the body has this great drive to seek balance, it's it seems that it's imperative to me to offer the smallest intervention necessary in order to kind of kickstart the body to balance itself. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a former home birth midwife, and 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 that's that's a midwife's perspective. You know, like yeah. what what's this? The, do I need to do anything at all? What would happen if I did nothing? And what's the smallest amount of something that I can do to get things back on track to be normal without unduly interfering with the with the the natural process? So um, that would be a good time for me to ask you. So, how much pressure do you put on these babies? Well, the maximum. Well, there's sometimes it's it, there's a variety, but in sure. general, it's just a few grams. Um, there's this famous in some circles, state, you know, statement: the weight of a nickel. Well, and I've I've actually put nickels on a little scale, and and I've weighed <laughs> them, and they actually do weigh five grams. Although I think the newer nickels, and and of course, you have to be familiar with U.S. coins or Canadian coins oh, for that matter right, right. to to know about what a nickel feels like. You know, resting That's on your 
your skin. But it's, but it's about five minutes. No, it's not very yeah. much at all. It's really light touch. Um, we can kind of fly in under the radar. We can get things to move without stimulating resistance in the body. Um, and, and, you know, and it's, it's a very efficient way to work. Now, Carol, I have to ask this because I know that there are people who think this. They think that craniosacral therapy is, uh, as my friend Mary would say, just a lot of snake oil. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you can you can find out all about us on on uh, Quack Watch if you want to go to that <laughs> website. There, there are people there. I got a whole lot to say about what. Oh we yeah, do. actually, I did go there. They do say that. Yeah, yeah, they're totally against it. Um, and so. You know, some people think like, well, this is energy work. And, you know, there's an energetic component. We all go beyond the skin to some degree. But okay. but that's not – we're doing way more than just putting our hands on people and thinking good thoughts. Um, that's – that really – there's a, a massive foundation of anatomy and physiology upon which this work is based. Um, we don't have any really credible um, – uh, RCT kind of research that shows that craniosacral therapy is beneficial for really anything at all. I mean, on the other hand, there's no research saying that it's dangerous. The research hasn't been done. It costs a ton of money to do like the double blind treatments and and how do you do a sham treatment anyhow? You know, I mean, so it doesn't lend itself well to that kind of research. It costs a ton of money to do it. And we're and we're not going to patent some expensive drug on the back end. So I don't think that research is really <laughs> going to be done. I, I would agree with you. I am not aware of any studies that show that there is any harm to it. Right. But let me tell you, uh, Carol, I have had craniosacral therapy myself many times. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to me that when she's finished with me, I have this sense of relaxation that is profound. Yeah. Has that been, would you say that's typical? Yes, I do. Um, it's it's deeply rela- relaxing to most people. Um, we definitely um, uh, have a, a calming effect on the central nervous system, which is which is awesome. Uh, a lot of the babies I see in my practice, you know, have autonomic nervous system dysregulation. Um, mm. You know, they're raw. Oh. They're the ones who are crying all the time, and who um, what would be sort of ordinary stimulation to some babies sends them just over the edge. And we get really good results with those babies. One of the things I tell the parents is that now after this treatment, I mean, regardless of the temperament of the child, uh-huh. after this treatment, your child, may, you may, your baby might sleep for some ridiculous amount of time, like six hours. So don't be afraid. Like you might have to wake your newborn to feed her, right? If she sleeps okay. that long. But um, for, for people, and in this case, babies who integrate change most easily in their sleep, they may very well um, just kind of sleep off the treatment. So don't be worried that there's something wrong. And so that, I mean, the, that's the evidence of that deep relaxation and calming effect that we see in, the, in babies in particular. Carol, we only have a couple of minutes before we go to break, but tell us, uh, how how old does a baby need to be in order to get your service as a uh, craniosacral therapist? Well, about 30 seconds. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> you it. know, uh, having been a home birth mm-hmm. midwife, you know, I'm, you know, obviously I'm not going to whisk a baby away from, from, from uh, his or her mother's arms um, in those moments afterwards. But, but I may very well have a hand on a baby um, who is really just out of the womb. Um, so no baby is too young to, to safely and effectively receive okay. treatment. 
Okay. And just quick, quick, how does that differ from infant massage? Um, uh, mostly it has to do with the amount of pressure we use. It's very uh-huh. gentle. It's not stroking or kneading or using lubricants. Uh, typically, the babies leave their little baby clothes on or their diapers. And, and so it's, it's considerably different from infant massage, although we may get similar results. Okay. Very hugely interesting. Now, everybody, don't go away because when we come back, I'm going to ask Carol a whole lot more about craniosacral therapy in infants. We really want to uh, help you to understand what it is and to decide if maybe, maybe, maybe this is for your baby because I think Carol has already made a really good point that it's not just what you see on their mouth or in their sucking. It really could be something else. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. 
That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto, your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I'm here today with Carol Gray. She is a craniosacral therapist. She's also an infant massage therapist, and she has done much body work, yoga, and much more. She's also been a professional midwife. Uh, Carol, too bad you haven't done anything in your career here. Holy mackerel. I know. Uh, (laughs) So, Carol, we were talking about the lack of evidence. And I know that certainly in my world as a nurse, evidence-based practice is the big buzzword. You know, we've we've Mm -hmm. all got to have evidence, evidence, evidence. And I'm a big believer that while there are, sometimes there's seemingly no evidence, but if there's no downside, I usually try to say to people, hey, you know, look at, give it a shot. It's it's worth a try. But in the same breath, I also want to say, I'm a believer in the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. So what would you say if we asked you, Carol, maybe this uh, cranial sacral therapy is just a bunch of baloney. If people think they're going to get cured, then they really would get cured. What would you say to that? Well, I guess a really interesting topic. I mean, you know, when you think about drug trials and they'll have such a high percentage of people who have a positive effect, even though they didn't get the the study drug, you know, it makes me wonder, but but we don't spend much time thinking about, well, why did those people get better? What was, you know, what was, what was the, (laughs) where was the magic for that? But um, yeah, I think that, well, first of all, if I'm treating a newborn, I don't think it's really realistic to say that that baby has some belief system around around uh, this is really going to help me right yes, now yes, the parents yes, yes. might and yeah. that's and the, and the parents may feel um, due to pl- so-called placebo effect after treatment that their baby is doing better when maybe if we objectively measured how many minutes per day the baby cried or or how many um, you know minutes of successful breastfeeding versus um, you know inability to latch or something like that you know we we might find something different but you know honestly my my role in the world is is to end war, and the way I want to do it is, in the way I am doing it, is by um, improving infant maternal bonding, and and because you know we're going to have healthier families, healthier communities, a saner world if we do that. And so even if I sit with a family and I talk with a woman um, about her birth story, about her breastfeeding experience, everything else that's going on, and and if her baby gets only one percent better as a result of the hands-on treatment, but she feels a whole ton better and feels uh, closer to her baby and better bonded because of the time she's spent with me. I don't see that as a downside necessarily. I mean, although... Honestly, I think the babies, you know, really do improve. I get I get a lot of um, medical doctor MD referrals, and and what people tell me, they'll say like, yeah, my pediatrician sent me, um, and and he said that he doesn't know if it works, but at least it won't hurt, and so you should we should give it a try. Um, I treat the children of MDs all the time, and I had interesting, one do- you know, and I had one doctor tell me, and and a medical doctor, I'm sitting on the couch treating his baby, and I said, you know, um, we don't really have any research to show that this work is effective. Um, we don't have any evidence. And, you know, and I'm really transparent about that with people. And he, he looked at me and he said, you know something? He said, anecdotal evidence is still evidence. Evidence. I agree. And I, I, I would and agree. I've, and I've never forgotten that. And, and, um, 
you know, in, in Portland, Oregon, where I practice and live, tons and tons and tons of babies get treatments. We have free clinics in my office every month. Wow. And, and people come in with their babies for a first visit, and they'll say, five or six people told me that I should get my baby treated. You know, two of my friends had positive results, and I hear those stories on and on and on all the time. And so there's something to it. <laughs> well, one of the things that I noticed was that on one of your YouTubes, and I watched several, so I can't remember which one it was, but uh-huh. the baby was kind of fussy in the beginning of, of the video. Uh-huh. And what I noticed was that after you started working on the baby, and by the way, again, you didn't look like you were doing anything. Right. But uh, but as you were doing that nothing to him, lo and behold, the baby settled down. Yeah. And so I don't know that it's always going to be that evident in that short of a period of time. That's true. But uh, the other thing I would ask you is, what effect do you think, if if the parent watches their baby settle down, mm-hmm. what effect do you think that has on the parent? Well, it's deeply calming for the parents. You know, yeah. if, um, yeah. you know uh, newborn babies and and um, and their mothers, um, you know, particularly if they are a breastfeeding dyad, but even if they aren't, they're they're one being. They're connected, and so um, treating the mother treats the baby, and treating the baby treats the mother. It it goes both ways, um, and it's a it's a double opportunity to to help them. I would totally agree. And I would also say, having worked labor and delivery for many years, I always used to say, you show me an anxious patient and I will show you a long labor. It's just that anxiety is just not good for any of us. So, Carol, help us to connect up the connection here of where craniosacral therapy fits into feeding issues. You've already alluded to that, but plump that up for us, if you would, please. Yeah, um, I... I think that that um, well, you know, there's one. I have a wonderful YouTube video, by the way, about <laughs> um, about infant unwinding and oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, and and there's some there's something that happens sometimes when we hold babies in this therapeutic way, and actually, it it happens when anybody holds a baby at times when they'll start moving their bodies um, and reproducing what we call the cardinal movements, which are refri- reflex driven oh, movements that wow. babies do in the birth process. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, if we allow them to do that. Um, there's a there's a point where the next step of the process is actually the world famous breast crawl. Like the breast yeah. crawl isn't one discrete thing. It's it's sort of part two, if you will, of a series of reflex driven movements that babies do to get themselves born and get themselves to breast. And oh, I um, love it. And I've found that if we allow babies and support them in gravity to unwind their bodies in this way, and especially when we notice that they're doing the cardinal movements, um, that it's an it's a wonderful time to get the baby skin to skin with the mother immediately, you know, after that or as a part of that, so that they can kind of fine tune their ability to do breast seeking and 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 self attaching, and and so I, I I wanted to say that that. That's, that's one way that this work can be really effective for babies, particularly when there's been an interruption in that initial contact between mm. mother and baby, maybe mm. because mother had surgery or, you know, whatever. Whatever, um, sure. Yeah. And, so, and so the other, so there are other, other things. Um, a lot of times um, babies don't get to move around very well in utero. 
Okay, Agreed. and this is this is a huge issue. Um, when I see baby, I, I see babies who have all kinds of of sort of torsions and lateral flexion patterns in their bodies. These flex, these patterns absolutely interfere with breastfeeding. Babies who who show up with a head turning preference from one side to one side or the other um, are inevitably going to do better on one breast than the other. Um, and, and we see this all of the time. And, you know, and the mothers will say like, well, the baby likes the, my right breast because it has more milk. And, and, you know, but really and truly the baby's struggling on her left breast because the baby can't turn his or her head at all to the right or even get it to midline. The baby's head is, de- is default turned to the left. And so if you can spin a baby around in your mind and think about that, that if mm. baby only turns head to the left, assuming the baby is held in a, like a cross cradle position, Position, right, then the baby's going to do really well on the mother's right breast and not so good on the left side. And it's in, and you know, and ultimately there will be more milk in the in the breast that that sure, uh, absolutely that, that transfers, you know, that where the right. baby transfers more. It's um, supply and, so we, and demand, yeah, right. And so we, uh, you know, sedentary lifestyle, seated lifestyle, seated occupations for women. I mean, I I see babies in my practice all the time, and the babies will have some twist or torsion or um, a difference in the length and strength of the muscles in the floor their mouth, any of that stuff, um, these are babies who developed into twisted shapes. Babies grow into available space. Um, and, and I can ask the mother, I'll say like, so was your baby like really low in your pelvis for a really long time at the end of your pregnancy? And did, and, and did you, the baby's, you know, arms and legs move, but the, but the whole body not move at all? Yeah. How did you know? That magic question, the answer is always yes. And those are the babies who maybe had difficult births because they were in what we call an asynclitic position. Yes. One yes. ear, one ear um, you know, toward one shoulder makes a much bigger presenting part, you know, and often yes. those babies are cesarean born. People blame the birth and the birth process as being traumatic and the cause of the breastfeeding issues. And frankly, these babies were grew into that shape like those. I don't know, have you ever seen those cube shaped watermelons? They're perfect. Oh. I think they, <laughs> yeah. grow, they grow them in boxes. Okay. Yeah. And they're, they're really popular in Japan. And like I use that image, like those, that, those box shaped watermelons, like that's that's what happens is happening to our babies. So some babies have issues with breastfeeding because they have structural really and truly structural differences in their body because they weren't able to grow and move around and grow themselves into a more symmetrical shape and that affects their function. So Yeah, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking, for years I've heard mothers tell me, Oh, she has a favorite side, he has a favorite side, a favorite side. Yeah. And I usually kind of don't do a whole lot with that because mm-hmm. you know, you can you just yeah. make it work. But right. One of the things that I guess as I hear you talking, I'm asking myself, if a baby had a full-blown torticollis, I am very sure that I would see it. However, as I hear you talking, I'm thinking a baby could have a very subtle, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, male male alignment or something. Yeah. And and if so, maybe that would not be perceptible to me, mm-hmm. but in fact, that might be enough to knock him off his game. Is mm-hmm. it, am I going in the right direction here? Totally, totally. In fact, if, if, 
you know, if you back it off to like the symptom level, you know, my message is if your baby prefers one breast over the other, that's a problem and the baby ought to come in for an evaluation and a treatment. Because uh-huh, um, uh-huh. we can feel, I can feel that stuff in the baby's body. I can, I mean, anybody can with a little bit of training, honestly, just feel into, wow. you know, does, does the baby move this way or that way? You know, we're testing. Oh, yeah, they're kind of stuck. They won't go that way. And we, you know, and, and, and we're unsticking them is what we're doing. Yeah. yeah. And I would think that that unsticking would be hugely, hugely beneficial. Hey, everybody, do not go away because guess what? I am going to be right back with craniosacral therapist Carol Gray, who is going to enlighten us substantially further. So hang in there. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Carol Gray, who is here talking to us about the effects of craniosacral therapy. So, Carol, I want to talk a little bit more because I really do believe that there are babies that when there is nothing visibly perceptible to me, Mm -hmm. um, apparently there is to you. And I noticed, for instance, on one of your YouTubes, you talked about being able to feel cerebrospinal fluid. And I'm like, holy mackerel, I don't think I could do that. But anyway, (laughs) um, I I know also uh, you believe that there is a connection between the feeding issues and the cranial nerve dysfunctions. So remembering now that we are in 65 different countries, uh, some people don't have good English. Even here in the U.S., we've got mothers who might not know all of this stuff. But can you break this down for us so we can kind of get it here? Totally. I'm going to. Okay. So cranial nerves are responsible for sensation, function, and movement of certain body parts, especially in the head and neck. Okay. Yes. So mm-hmm. we know we're in, the, we're in the ballpark here. So they affect posture, tongue function, vision, eye movements, sense of smell, hearing, digestion, sense of taste. Okay. So the, the muscles that drive suck, swallow, breathe coordination depend on appropriate cranial nerve function. Okay. Uh, they also stimulate facial expression and vocalization, which are the also the primary tools of social engagement. So this stuff's yes. really important. Okay. Yes. So cranial nerve dysfunction is associated with these asymmetries that we just talked about, like babies getting fixated in a particular position in the womb. Okay. Um, so babies who have... Um, other, so, so some babies have cranial nerve dysfunction due to that fixation problem. Other babies have asymmetries, okay, due to differences in innervation, which is caused by the fixation. So does that, does that make sense? So you can see yeah. the asymmetries in the babies. They yeah. show up in posture, eye movements, tongue function, all that kind of stuff. So um, they also, they also cause Autonomic nervous system dysregulation, also known as the raw babies, right? Um, oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, we see um, compression in cranial nerves. Uh, sometimes that happens in the birth process. But again, a lot of times um, it happens in the birth process because of, of just bad positioning of babies for some period of time before labor ever begins. And so, so some babies have a rough ride in the birth process because they were fixated in a in a just a really less than ideal position for maybe weeks or days before the before the labor ever began. So does that help? I don't know. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I as I as you were talking, I was thinking about what I tell participants in my comprehensive lactation program, those that are preparing to be an IBCLC, and I talk to them especially about cranial nerve number five and cranial nerve number seven, and I drive home to them things that I would consider to be not normal. For example, uh, a forceps delivery and cranial nerve number seven, stuff like that, but you're saying it it doesn't have to be that dramatic. It can right. be maybe just how that baby has been for the last however many days or weeks or possibly months mm-hmm. and that they get a little, for lack of a better word, stuck. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, goes to drive home what you said. I, I don't know if you said it exactly at the beginning of the show, but I think you implied the daylights out of the idea that all of the breastfeeding problems are not necessarily situated in the mouth or with mm-hmm. the, that, that it's 
it's really a much bigger picture than that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the sort of thing that you would be able to help them with. Yes? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so. Yes. What can you tell us about birth trauma? Because I'm hugely interested in that. Uh, so let's say that the baby has, uh, I'm going to say a bump on, on the head. He's mm-hmm. got a, a caput or a cephalhematoma or whatever, but basically a bump on the head. Uh-huh. You know, how does, how does that affect or, or any number of other things? He's had a facial presentation or can you yeah. give us sort of, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad news. Yeah. <laughs> um, I realized I just gave you a question that would take you a week to answer, but can you give us the cliff notes here? Yeah, um, I th- I think that that um, you know babies who have a just well I you know I think that we blame a lot of stuff on birth trauma and and we overuse that word trauma and I think that yeah. that I, it it isn't it may be as prevalent as we think, but it's the thing that we latch on to, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I, th- I think that, that, that some, but if, you know, if a baby does have a cephalohematoma or, you know, or a caput, um, they're going to be uncomfortable. It's painful. And, and that definitely is going to have sure. an effect on, effect, on their right. ability right away. Um, you know, it's a fractured clavicle, you know, fractured broken collarbone. That's, that's, you know, a, not a, not uncommon type of birth injury. And so, you know, we're definitely, going to see that stuff is definitely going to have an impact. Um, I think that sometimes it can be more subtle than that. You know, the, the, the bones of the cranial vault, the little bones in the baby's head are supposed to overlap each other in the birth process. They're designed to do right. that. And, and, and sometimes if they move too far too fast, um, maybe there's just a little bit of a microscopic trauma that happens. Nothing, no big deal stuff, you know, stuff that just seems pretty okay. And, um, but then you've got a little bit of, um, you know, fiber network that starts to build up in those areas in the, in the fascia and the base of the skull and and you know a week or two after that baby's born all of a sudden they wind up and they start screaming and 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 it's just because like those openings where those nerves um, emerge from between uh, bones in the cranial base or, or right through certain bones or maybe the fascia in the cranial base it heals kind of tight and it's, we can do something about that to improve mobility there so so okay. sometimes it's okay. subtle sometimes it's a big deal Okay. Can you talk to us about babies that have reflux or spit up or any of those? I I realize that's bigger Uh than my question, but can can you address that? Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, I used to think that just like everybody else did, that spitting up was not a problem if the baby was gaining weight and seeming to be and not upset about the spitting up, right? Um, But one day I had this woman call me and she said, "Um, I want, I need you to come and treat my baby again. I said, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, after you treated her a few weeks ago, she stopped spitting up and she just did it a couple of times this week. And I think she could use a tune up. And I thought, oh, ding, 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 ding. Wait a minute. Spit up (laughs) is pathology. It just didn't dawn on me, you know, and until I have that phone call. So there's that. Um, I think a lot of so-called reflux is really aerophagia. It's babies swallowing air. These are babies who cannot coordinate suck, swallow, breathe. They cannot... Um, you know, suck and swallow with, without going through all kinds of crazy compensations to protect their airways. Um, we, we see that a lot. Um, some of those babies uh, probably have tongue ties and would benefit from a procedure. And, um, and pretty much 
all of those babies will benefit from some craniosacral therapy too. I think that the the word on the street is, as far as um, you know, managing tongue tie is that it takes a it takes a village, and craniosacral therapists, um, you know, hold up um, probably a third of that village. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, can you think of of conditions or situations where you would not treat a, a small baby, a, a young infant? You know. I, I really can't. I think that, you know, I've treated babies who were hospitalized with infections and, you know, mm. and who were struggling, babies who were in the NICU um, on, you know, on ventilators and things like that. The, the touch that we offer is so gentle and and uh, just so respectful of the babies that it's it's not going to unduly tire them, you know. I, I was taught in my training, well, don't offer this treatment to anybody who is uh, fewer than six days post a stroke or an intracranial bleed. And and I, you know, and I adhered to that, of course, you know. For, but then I started thinking about it and I thought that, you know, if I'm touching somebody's head with five grams or less of pressure, um, that's way less change in intracranial pressure than having a bowel movement or putting your head on the pillow at night, you know? So, um, honestly, I think that, that, um, I don't see personally, um, a contraindication beyond, um, you know, two parents who are not in agreement about whether the treatment should be done. That would be a contraindication. You know, everybody's got to be on board with it. Sure. Sure. Have you ever treated babies that you, well, let me back up a minute. Yeah. On on the whole, mm-hmm. how many times does a baby need a treatment before you or the parent can see a substantial improvement? You know, sometimes it's one. Sometimes it might be six or seven. You know, I, I, I'm just pulling that number kind of out of the air here. but. Sure. Um, sure. it, it it really depends on how medically involved is this infant and, and it depends on what are the treatment goals and what's happening. I tell parents that reasons to get a baby treated more than once are nothing changes and you want to try it again. And frankly, I've seen two treatments make a significant difference when the first one seems like it did nothing. So I have seen that. Okay. Um, or parents notice that they're tr- that they're on the road, that their treatment goals are partially met, but they haven't mm-hmm. they haven't yet arrived, and so that makes sense to come back. Um, sometimes I see babies that just have really dramatic, t- you know, twists and turns in their bodies, or they're getting, you know, they're developing plagiocephaly or a brachycephaly, oh, uh-huh. flat spots on their heads. I want to yep. see those babies maybe more often. Um, especially if they're young because growth is part of what will fuel the change. I want to keep tabs on them. So, you know, parents are the ones who are going to determine if the treatment goals are met. I don't usually see the change right there in the moment in my office other than maybe deep relaxation, something like that. They're the ones, they got to go home and they got to ask themselves like, well, was feeding better in this 24 hours than it was 24 hours before? Or, you know, is my baby sleeping a little better over the the last couple nights than, than what we noticed before? So sometimes it takes a little time for them to notice if, if they're, you know, if they're getting somewhere. Okay. All righty. And uh, just quick, quick, before we go to break, you mentioned the head several times. And is it, some people think that craniosacral therapy, the practitioner only touches the head. True or false? False. (laughs) Okay. Could be Be anywhere. Okay. Because it seemed to me like when I saw you on the YouTube that you were, Uh, that maybe sometimes that 
you were more concentrated maybe, but it seemed to me like you were in several different places. Now, everybody, do not go away because if you are thinking about this as a possible alternative therapy for your baby, and I'm not saying that you should or you would, but in case you are, when Carol and I come back, I'm going to ask Carol to help us to think about how do we find a practitioner? How do you know that your comfort level with that person will be acceptable? And um, a little bit more about just the mechanics of getting this treatment for your baby. Okay, so don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. Carol and I will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894 and ask for your bulk discount. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. 
You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Carol Gray. And uh, Carol has been doing craniosacral therapy for probably longer than she wants to admit to, but many years in the or. Uh, you said Portland, Oregon. Yes, Portland, oh, Oregon. Haven't been to Portland myself in quite a while. But anyway, all right. So, Carol, what do you do? My guess would be that after many years of practicing, you get many referrals that are word of mouth. Somebody says, <coughs> oh, I went to Carol. She did this really great job. Take your kid there. But do you get some skeptics? And how would you invite them into that conversation? That's a good question. I, you know, the, when I get skeptics, typically it's a couple who will come, or maybe they'll come with grandparents <laughs> in tow. Um, then there, there may be a skeptic in the crowd there, and, and that's, that's pretty reasonable. So I always ask them, do you need information about what I do? And, you know, and they, ask, they ask their questions, and, of course, I answer them. And, and um, I have a favorite question that I ask them, which is, how much anatomy have you studied? I've learned over the years that if I start out with kind of like the fourth-grade level explanation um, – that I could be shooting myself in the foot if I if I'm talking to a surgeon where I could have really ramped up the the, the anatomical terminology. So they I, I figure out who I'm talking to and then I tailor my my description appropriately. And and so anyway, when I get that going, but but what there's there's really one question that parents have, and that is well they have two questions, but the first one is are you going to hurt my baby? And so I routinely will reach out and touch maybe somebody's knee or their forearm, some safe place to touch somebody I don't know very well and say, this is how much pressure I use. Those people relax. They just say, oh, okay. But then there's another question that comes up like, well, wait a minute. If you're only touching, you know, with so lightly, does this really work? Is this, you know, am I going to undo it when I change the baby's diaper or give the baby a bath? Am I going to mess it up? And, you know, the answer to that, of course, is is, yes, it does work. And no, you're not going to mess it up because my my passion and my obsession, if you will, isn't about getting a body to stack up a certain way or to um, align bodies a certain way. My job is to improve mobility because I go goes all the way back to that idea of the body seeking balance. If the body parts can move, the body's going to find its appropriate alignment and ultimately its appropriate function. So that's my answer. <laughs> Carol, I am presuming that there is a difference in the training of a person who does craniosacral therapy for an adult versus one for a baby. And if so, presumably the parent with a baby is going to try to look for the therapist who has specialized in infant uh, issues. Yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. So... How do we find, well, let's, let's ask you, first of all, how do we find you? And secondly, if we don't live in Portland, Oregon, how do we find somebody like you? Aha. Well, um, first of all, the way you find me is um, on the internet, the way everybody finds me. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, um, that, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I have, uh, it, it, I have at least three websites that are pertinent to this. Um, do you want me to talk about that now or, or just uh, save the, the, you know, the, the web addresses to the end? Well, let's, 
let's just zap right through them as long as you're there. Okay. Uh, first website is uh, carolgray.com, C-A-R-O-L-G-R-A-Y. That's, um, that's what you'll find out about me. And of course, you'll find out how to navigate to the other website. Um, I have another website that's called um, the Carol Gray Center for CST Studies. Okay. And that's C-A-R-O-L-G-R-A-Y, C-E-N-T-E-R, F-O-R-C-S-T-S-T-U-D-I-E-S. And that is the website that talks all about the, the classes I teach. I train people to do craniosacral therapy mm-hmm. with oh, infants. Nice. And others. And um, on that on that particular website, the Carol Gray Center for CST Studies, there's a member directory. And, oh, nice. And, and so people who have studied with me and who have elected to have their contact information put into that directory um, can be found there. And I've got some people from uh, a variety, you know, many states in the United States. There's some Canadians and some people from other countries. And that list continues to grow over time. And you can look, people can look at uh, the individual listings and see which classes people have taken with me and see if they've done my infant training. I would say most of them have. Okay, so we can presume that if you have trained those people, they are credible, able, etc. Yes. Yes, I, I, I have this vision that if they come out of your class, they know what they're doing because you just seem like the kind of woman that wouldn't let them out of the class until they were. Um, and, and so that uh, that is really, really good. And what kind of money does it take to get this uh, treatment? I realize that it's going to be different in different parts of the country, but can you give us a range? Wow, that's a that's a really tough question. You know, I I mean, obviously, yeah, it's going to depend on the cost of living factors sure. in, in various sure. parts places in the in the United States, and um, some sometimes it has to do with the license under which a person practices. I mean, I've trained MDs, oh. I've trained chiropractors. They're going to charge more than say a massage therapist who's doing craniosacral therapy just because the right. hourly rate for yeah, you know, or a physical therapist. So there are a lot of different people. So it may be it costs you as much the same amount as kind of a, a, a massage would cost in your community, or it could actually cost as much as 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 a, a going, going for a visit to a doctor. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Uh, Carol, in the uh, minute or two that we have left, uh, tell us what drew you to this particular thing in the first place. How did you get turned on to craniosacral therapy? Well, I was a doula for a really long time oh, before right. they even called it doula, you know, right, and, right. And, then, and then from like 2000 to 2012, I was a midwife, but way back in 1992, I was a massage therapist and I, I went to this monthly breakfast meeting that was mainly attended by home birth midwives and and I, I, was, I was sitting across the table from these two midwives and one said, do you do cranial adjustments on all the babies in your practice? And the other one said, of course I do. Well, I was like too shy to ask them what that was, um, <laughs> but I I knew that, oh, I need to know how to do this because I was seeing babies who were medically normal but who weren't quite right, who needed help. And I just had this instinct that something about their heads must have something to do with this. And that's what drove me to get craniosacral training for myself. So that's 
really how that all began. But then, you know, my training included nothing about infants. They didn't have training mm. for pediatrics in those days. So I had to make it up. I had to like, you know, try figure out what I knew about, you know, infant anatomy and try to apply the techniques I'd learned for adults to babies. And, and over time, I developed a body of work. And, and then eventually, you know, 10 years ago, people said, you know, you really start, you ought to teach this stuff. And, and I've never looked back. I've been teaching for 10 years now. Mm, I know that feeling for sure. Well, as as usual, the time goes way, way, way too fast, and that's all the time that we have today. But before we sign off, I'd like to thank my guest, Carol Gray, uh, for being with us today. Carol, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Marie. This was totally my pleasure. I'm. It's oh, a, a great honor to speak with you. Well, you've been very, very enlightening, and I thank you for coming. I'd like to thank all of you who are listening today, because honestly, without you, we don't have a show unless we have listeners. So uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for uh, being here this week and next week and every other week in the future. For those of you who haven't looked on my website, you will probably notice that we've got, oh dear, I don't know, but I think some upwards of 200 episodes by now, and you are welcome to download any of those. And meanwhile, I would just like to uh, thank Carol again and tell you I'm Marie Biancuso. Every week I will help you to bust through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond every Monday, same channel. In the meanwhile, just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.